Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. Welcome to the podcast, my friends. Jason Jimenez with you. As always, I am so glad that you are tuning in once again as we dive into the life and teaching of Jesus Christ. I hope this has been a blessing to you. I hope that your knowledge of Scripture, your passion for Christ, and your ability to study God's Word continues to grow every time you and I meet up each and every week. So today is podcast 46, and the title is Jesus is Loco. Jesus is crazy because today we're going to be looking at so many intense things that his own family many times have tried to remove Jesus. So we have, my friends, a lot to cover. So I don't apologize that we're going to be covering God's word extensively today, but I do apologize that we normally try to keep this podcast under 30 minutes. So if you're used to that, this one's going to be a bit long, so maybe you could take it in two different parts, maybe three. So let's just dive right into it. This is in four different events. So let me start with the first event. The people think that Jesus is crazy in Mark chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Now, before I dive right into that, remember, this is Jesus' second tour of Galilee. So this is roughly about 80-30. He just healed the centurion servant in Matthew 8. He raised a man from the dead in 9 in Luke chapter 7. He addressed the crowd about John the Baptist, remember, and he dealt with his doubts in his ministry in Matthew chapter 11. He dined with Simon the Pharisee and forgave the woman who came and washed his feet with alabaster oil in Luke chapter 7, and now he faces an even greater rejection than what he just faced at Simon's house. This time, it is with his own family. So that's where we pick things up in Mark chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. It reads, Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. Okay, so this phrase here, he went home. Again, Jesus goes back home to Capernaum after traveling through Galilee. Now, this is roughly probably around, according to Matthew 13, 1, near the shores of Galilee. And more than likely, this is what I believe, this is Peter's home. Oftentimes, when Jesus went back home, he would stay at Peter's home. Remember when he, hear, when he healed the paralytic man in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12? I believe that was Peter's home. That's where Jesus stayed. I believe this is where he's at again. This is where now his family's able to reach him because they know of him oftentimes when he'd come back from his tours, he would go back to Peter's house. Notice here in verse 20 that the, the, the crowd gathers again. Now remember, the people continue to grow and follow Jesus. So much so that he and his family and his disciples, they couldn't even eat. They couldn't teach. They couldn't even rest. So think about how this was probably feeling on the disciples, the toll that it was taking on Jesus and the disciples and his own family seeing this and then, you know, just invading the privacy and the demands of the various different things that people wanted Jesus to do for them. Which is why then Mark mentions here in verse 21 that when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. So the religious leaders, they were just accusing, remember, Jesus of being from Satan. And now his family is trying to take him by force, if need be, because they think that Jesus is over-restrained and he needs to rest. Not only that, but Jesus's family, they're trying to protect him just like any other family would, right? They're trying to protect their own reputation also due to the growing threats that were taking place, the accusations that were stirring up that people are saying in regards to Jesus's ministry throughout Galilee. 
So this term that he's out of his mind seems to apply in the Greek that Jesus' brothers were not believers as of yet. We can see that in John chapter 7, verse 5. Now, Warren Wiersbe writes this in his commentary, Our Lord was not being rude to his family when he remained in the house and did not try to see them. He knew that their motives were right, but their purpose was definitely wrong. If Jesus had yielded to his family, he would have played right into the hands of the opposition. The religious leaders would have said, See, he agreed with his family. He needs help. Don't take Jesus of Nazareth too seriously. Instead of giving in, he used his crisis as an opportunity to teach a spiritual lesson. End quote. So that's a good perspective to put in. We don't know why, in fact, at this stage of Jesus' ministry that they were still not fully, you know, believing in him as the Messiah, but they were there to support him and try to take him out of the crowd. So that's the setting right now. Now we go to the second event where the leaders think that Jesus is of Satan. So once again, they're going to attack him. We see this in Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 and 37, Mark chapter 3, 22 through 30, and Luke chapter 11, 14 through 23. Now I'm going to, sh- I'm going to read for you just because of time's sake, the shorter of the synoptics on this account, but I'm going to jump back and forth as I usually do. Uh, between Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So in Mark 3, it says, verse 22, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub, and by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. And he called them to him, and he said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man in whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Now I want to say you can always go to standstrongministries.org, click on podcast. And there you will see my notes because the Matthew's account for Matthew 12, 20 through, 22 through 37 is a longer encounter that, that goes into more detail about fruit. And so what I'm going to do now, my friends, is I'm just going to be kind of jumping back and forth between the three synoptics, kind of giving you better insight of how this whole thing plays out with the scribes attacking Jesus. So in Mark 3, 22, the scribes, were told, came down from Jerusalem. So remember, scribes were the experts in the law of Moses. So they, they were the ones that assisted the Pharisees and the priests. So things were heating up because they're trying to uh, counter Jesus. They're trying to corner him, I should say, and exposing him as a fraud. And so what they have to say to people, because they've been hearing reports of miracles that he's been performing and crowds are following him. So what the religious leaders have to do is they have to, with their experts, try to interpret for themselves what they believe Jesus to really be, and then take that interpretation and try to convince the crowd to believe in them. So we're told here in Matthew 12 and Luke 11 that, you know, he's going around and he's casting out demons who are blind and they're mute. So Jesus is able to perform these miracles because Satan has given him these abilities. Therefore, the scribes are responding by saying that Jesus does it through the power of Beelzebub. Now, notice the crowd responds 
by asking the question, can this actually be the son of David? We're told in Matthew 12, 23. Now, this phrase, son of David, is a messianic title. You can see that played out in 2 Samuel 7, 14 through 16. Now, in the Greek, the people were quickly feeling that time was almost up. That's basically what's happening in the text right now, which is really cool. People were believing as they're sensing Jesus and the religious leaders are coming and they're attacking him. When they're asking the question, can this really be the son of David? They're expecting God's kingdom to be here like now. However, the religious leaders, what they were trying to do is they were trying to get them not to focus on that and looking at Jesus as the Messiah that they've been awaiting for for centuries, but start doubting him. Remember going back to John the Baptist, who they said was a drunkard, and that drunkard said that he was a prophet. What did he know? And the guy's beheaded now. But we know the truth that Jesus is the Lamb of God, like John the Baptist said in Matthew 11, 2 through 19. So when they say it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons, we see this in Matthew 12, Mark 3, and Luke 11, the religious leaders did not like the form of exorcism that Jesus was doing because they had their own form of exorcism. So they were saying that Jesus's form of exorcism, which was not according to their style and their standards and their legalism, was not effective. So they were calling calling him Beelzebub, which means Lord of the Flies, which was an ancient deity or a Canaanite god that we see in 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 2, that later became a reference to, to Satan. So literally when they're calling Jesus Beelzebub here, they're calling him or associating Jesus with Satan. But in Mark 3, 23, and he called them to him and he said in parables, this is how Jesus responds to these accusations. He, now, remember, Jesus oftentimes would avoid conflict with religious leaders. But in this instant, in this occasion, he felt it necessary, given the circumstance of where his family was at and also where the religious leaders were at with these people and trying to attack him. Now, it says in Matthew 12, 25, knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and no city or house divided against itself will stand. Now, Jesus argues against their claims by showing that he can't be associated with Satan if he is casting out demons. Nonetheless, though, if the Jews believe that their exorcism is done in the power of God, and Jesus just cast out a demon that blinded and prevented a man to speak, then why aren't they accepting his authority? Why aren't they admitting that is done in the power of God? If, if truly religious leaders are, are trying to seek out the power of God and say that their exorcism is done in the power of God, and yet Jesus just demonstrated his ability to cast out demons. A man was blind and a man was mute, and now he can see and now he can talk. Why were they rejecting that? Well, let's get into it. In Matthew 12, 28, but if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So Jesus is telling the leaders that he comes in the power of God, that he has the authority to bind Satan and to cast him out. Yet guess what do they do? What do they do? They blaspheme that work. They reject it. They reject Jesus. They reject his teachings. They reject his healings. They reject his exorcisms. And the reason they do that is because they were dead in their sins. Now, this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit here in Matthew 12, 31 was denying the public ministry and teaching of Jesus, his Galilean ministry right then and there. And Jesus was calling them out. That's why Matthew 12, 33, he says, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit. So he's exposing them for the lack of fruit that they have. They're fruitless. Therefore, they're bad. They're a bad tree. Therefore, what they say and how they live their life and how they're leading people down the road 
to quote unquote salvation is all wrong. Jesus calls them out. He challenges the people to see what kind of fruit these people were really about. The fruit of Jesus clearly is good, and the fruit of the religious leaders is clearly bad. And so what Jesus does here in verses 34, 35, and 36 is he talks about the abundance of the heart. This is something that Jesus referred back in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember about the good heart, the intentions of the heart, comes good treasure. The fruit he mentions here, he mentions that in Matthew chapter 7 as well. But this all boils down to judgment in verse 37. He says, by your words you'll be justified and by your words you will be condemned. This word justified that Jesus used means shown to be righteous. So what you say says a lot about you. That's what Jesus is saying. So if even a small little lie, if a broken promise is going to be judged, how much more so when it comes to rejecting God? Everyone who rejects God, everyone who refuses to follow God will have their day of judgment. They will not enter heaven. Only those who receive Christ will go to heaven. And those who reject Christ will unfortunately and sadly will go to hell. You think about that, my friends? Doesn't that trouble you? As I was reading through this passage, preparing for this podcast, it broke my heart that there are people that have encountered Jesus. They have seen firsthand of his power, and yet they still reject it, which leads us to our third event, because you wonder why. Well, just like today, my friends, there's a lot of darkness. Jesus refers to this as an evil generation in Matthew 12, 38 through 45, and Luke 11, 24 through 36. So for time, let me just read Matthew's account. It says here in verse 38 of Matthew 12, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. So this is how they're challenging Jesus back to what he just said. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the valley of the great fish, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. When the unclean spirit has gone out of the person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be for this evil generation. And then in Luke chapter 11's account, when you, when you go all the way through what I just read, the parallelism between Matthew and Luke's account, Luke does add this portion that Matthew doesn't. In verse 33 through 36, let me just read it. It says, No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is a lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be woolly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. 
Okay, so the disciples are encountering these back and forth kind of interactions between the scribes and the Pharisees. Could you imagine how the disciples were feeling? They're exhausted, they're tired. Jesus' family's trying to get to him. We're going to see in a minute. But the Pharisees are relentless. And so the way that they respond back to Jesus' accusations to them is, hey, we'll just show us a sign then. Well, the reason why Jesus says, I'm not going to give you a sign, he says, an adulterous and evil generation seeks for a sign, he says in verse 39 in Matthew 12, is because he does the will of his father. If the father has not willed him to do that, then he's not going to do something that man wants him to do. He's not going to, you know, break his obedience before God. Jesus calls these leaders on an unfaithful group of Jews to God because they are not recognizing him as Messiah. They're thinking, well, if you are the Messiah, show us a sign. See, it's based on what they want to see. Their motives were malicious in nature. The proof was right before them. They had the scriptures before Jesus came on scene. And as Jesus came on scene, he's fulfilling them. They saw that through John the Baptist, and yet they rejected it and, and probably supported Herod having him beheaded. So they preferred to follow their religious systems over the promises of God. So Jesus responds back to them rather than showing a sign by mentioning Jonah being three days and three nights in the valley of the great fish. So what Jesus says, let's look at scripture. Rather than look at a sign, let's look at the scriptures and let's look at the prophet Jonah. Now, obviously, Jesus was greater than the prophet Jonah. And he says, as Jonah was in the in the whale for three days, so will the Son of Man be three days in the ground. So what Jesus is doing here is he's ultimately going to his death and resurrection, which is the ultimate sign to come. Now, that's something that they were not going to embrace as the Ninevites rejected Jonah at first. These Pharisees were rejecting Jesus nonstop. Now, he says Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this, this generation and condemn it in Luke eleven thirty two. What Jesus was saying was they themselves repented upon Jonah's preaching. And yet, because of the legalism and the self-righteousness, the religious leaders will reject the Son of God. Now, here's what's interesting. As Jesus was exposing this evil generation, this adulterous generation that seeks for a sign, that were putting him down, that were very malicious, he then transitions. Remember, this whole, this whole thing started when Jesus cast out a demon from a man who was blind and mute. And now we see in Matthew 12, 43 and Luke eleven twenty four, 24, where Jesus starts referring now to unclean spirits that go out of a person. So what he does is Jesus shifts his parable by using an unclean spirit, by using an evil spirit, a demon, to explain to the religious leaders how strong their bondage to idolatry as well as to Satan's kingdom really is. You can see this in Acts 4, 10 through 12 as an example as well. Now, Jesus says here in Matthew 12, 43, that this demon passes through waterless places seeking rest but finds no when it leaves a person. Now remember, a Jew may have turned to Jewish exorcism. They oftentimes did that in the culture. And, and, I, and I believe that it probably gave them temporary relief to that individual. I think that's why Jesus is saying that because remember, he's calling out their exorcism. He's calling out their authority and saying, look, you can give temporary relief. This waterless places seems to depict that certain demons are restless in pursuit of possessing human beings. You see this in Matthew 8, 28 through 31. So what Jesus mentions now is that this demon will return, he says, to my house, which I came. And when it does come back, it will find that the house is empty, it's swept, and it's put in order. So this terminology that Jesus is putting forth as he's countering these claims, these false claims, that is, that the, the Jewish leaders are having against him, he's saying that this, this quote-unquote delivered person, remember, this is their religious constructs that they are choosing over the word of God, the scriptures, 
maintains some form of religion that keeps these evil spirits away to some extent. But ultimately, there is no true spiritual conversion, merely notice a spiritual diversion. So that's what the Jewish people, the religious leaders are able to put in context is this spiritual diversion, not true spiritual conversion. The Jewish people cannot attain true information. They cannot attain true reformation without the deliverance of God. So we're told in Matthew 12, 45, that this demon will then bring back seven other spirits, notice, more evil than itself. My friends, right here in this passage in Matthew 12, 45 and Luke eleven twenty six, Jesus teaches about the hierarchy of Satan's dominion. Paul will later describe this in Ephesians 6, verse 12. So the spirit, Jesus says, dwells there and the last state of that person is now worse than the first. This demon with its buddies now will have total domination. It will have total takeover of this individual. And then Jesus says this, so also will it be with this evil generation. So what Jesus is saying in essence is by rejecting God, by rejecting the scriptures, by rejecting the authority of God, they will ultimately be taken over by the power and authority of of Satan. Now what Jesus does is he now transitions this talk about demonization, the power that Satan has over people that give themselves over to him because they reject the truth. Therefore, if they're not possessed and followers of the truth, they will be in bondage to the lies of Satan, which explains why then Jesus uses this terminology of lighting a lamp because God is light. And those who follow Jesus, who is the light of the world, he says in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So we will display the works of God publicly for all to see. That's not what you're getting from these religious leaders. They're walking in darkness. They're not a lamp. They're not shining the light of God's truth. They're not following the Sermon on the Mount. Remember Matthew 6, through 23, when Jesus talked about being the light of the world? And here in Luke now, 1134, he talks about your eye is a lamp of your body. Jesus is talking about clarity. When you and I have clarity, when you and I are obeying the truth of God, it's because the light of God is in us. In 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 6, it's a, a brilliant passage of Scripture that Paul puts together by encountering the demonic presence that were upon the people in Corinth, which really parallels nicely to what Jesus was encountering with these religious leaders here that we're reading about today in Luke chapter 11. Paul writes, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what's happening here, my friends. The God of the age, Satan himself, had blinded these people. So in Luke eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus warned them, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If you go back to King Saul, remember, he allowed darkness to consume him. Samson, he was supposed to be the great deliverer, but he allowed darkness to consume him. Eventually, he saw the light, repented of his sins. So the religious leaders, they profess to know the light. They're out there saying that, yet they were blinded to the truth. So Jesus warned the leaders, and he would later warn them again in the ministry not to reject the light that is among them. We'll see that later in our podcast in John 12, 35 
through 5th. So now we turn to the last event, the real family of God that we see in Matthew 12, 46 through 50, Mark 3, 31 through 35, and Luke 8, 19 through 21. Let me just read Mark's account. It says, And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him, and a crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So we started this podcast by looking at how the family of Jesus tried to get there to take him out because they thought he was losing his mind. He needed to rest. We see this encountering after he cast out the demon who blinded this man and caused him to be mute. He gets into demonization. He talks about being the light of the world. And now we see his family's trying to get to Jesus and how he turns this whole thing to talking about those who are truly part of the family of God. So let me just break this apart, if I may, real quickly as we end this podcast. So again, I'm sorry this is kind of going a little bit too long, but I'm going to just wrap it up in a few minutes. So what I did here in my notes is I looked at Mark 3, Luke 8, and Matthew 12, and I kind of meshed them together so we can kind of get a better account where it says, And Jesus' mother and his brothers came standing outside. They could not reach him because of the crowd, so they asked to speak to him. So now the situation continues to escalate with Jesus. The crowds in the public, they're ridiculing not only Jesus, but now the religious leaders are being ridiculed by the crowd. Now, on top of that, Jesus, he just scolded publicly the Jewish leaders by saying that they are an evil generation, that they're possessed by powerful demons and they don't even know it. And they're the ones that live in darkness, not the other way around. So this makes sense that Jesus' family is saying, okay, this is going too far. There's so much drama. We got to relieve Jesus. We got to get to him. So in Luke 8.20, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. Jesus' family was desperate, clearly, as we've been mentioning. They're concerned for his well-being. But the language here doesn't indicate that they were rejecting his message. Their whole focus was to get to Jesus to help him. So his family was simply worried for his safety and for his physical and mental well-being. So that that's that's cool to understand that. Again, this shows the humanness of Jesus that his family was there to look after him. But notice it says in Matthew 12, and stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven and my, is my brother and my sister and my mother. So what Jesus meant, my friends, as we're concluding this podcast, no one, not even his biological family, has more privilege or are considered to be favorites over others. You, you don't call the shots for Jesus. Just like, remember, the, the Pharisees came, the scribes, the experts of the law that, that helped the Pharisees, they were, they were wanting to see a sign. They were trying to call the shots. And he says, no, the family wanted to interfere and take Jesus. Remember, they meant well. They meant well. But if had they taken Jesus at the time in which he was engaging the religious leaders in front of people who are believing them to be the light, to be of the truth, Think about what that would have done. It would have been a missed opportunity. They would have interrupted Jesus' ministry. And yet Jesus is staying consistent. And as he looks around, he says, this is, this is my family. Those people who do the will of my father, just like I'm doing, that's my family. And Jesus calls these people out from being a part of these sinful leaders. These leaders were in bondage. Therefore, they're leading people into bondage. And Jesus wanted to deliver them. So as I wrap up, my friends, there was a lot to cover with these four different events that was happening with Jesus. But I hope that as we read through them, you just got a glimpse as I was really looking through this passage of 
how intense it would have been with not only Jesus' family there, with Jesus' disciples standing by, observing these things, but the attacks that he was constantly under with the religious leaders and knowing that he was battling against people that were demon-possessed, that there were demons right then and there. And he was able through through the power of the Spirit, who's able to push them away from him and not let them taint him. So I want to end the podcast by challenging you, my friends. As you and I explore the life and teachings of Jesus Christ, we are not to give up. You and I, are we live in a, in a perverse and wicked and evil generation, no question. But we cannot be under the influences of Satan in this world. We cannot be blinded. We need to be that light we need to be out there casting out demons. We need to be out there. And there, there are going to be people sometimes, they're going to wish us best. Like, hey, Jay, just, you know, you need to just chill out and calm down and, and maybe take a rest or two. And you know what? Sometimes that that is great advice. And I've definitely heeded it in my time in ministry. But there are other times people are saying, hey, get to the sideline, take a rest, call a timeout. And you're not to. You and I are to continue to be relentless and not to give up. So if you feel like giving up sometimes, or you feel like there are people in your life right now that are bringing you down and they're telling you to stop and you know that God is saying, no, keep going. Don't listen to them. Listen to God. Be obedient. Don't try to show off. Don't try to give in. Don't try to please or appease. Honor God. Do the will that God has called you to do. And I'm telling you, my friends, when you and I serve our master, I'm telling you, God will bless us in powerful and in tremendous ways. So be blessed, my friends. Thank you for tuning in, and I will see you on the next podcast. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening, and keep standing strong in the Word of God.